Welcome along to Scoreline Extra. As always on Scoreline Extra, we feature a diverse range of interviews across multiple different sports. On this week's episode, you can hear from Kilkenny Intermediate Camogie Manager John Squat and the players on the All-Ireland Final Clash against Antrim and subsequent loss. You'll hear some post-match reaction to the Carlos Senior Hurland Championship semi-final games between St Mullins and Bagnastown Gales and Navon and Mount Leinster Rangers. We'll also be talking Greyhounds with Joe Sheehan. We'll also be delving into a very interesting conversation with Professor Damien Bailey from the University of South Wales about head injuries in rugby. And we'll be joined by Dale Bulger, who became the first Carlo man to win the Midland Scratch Cup in 41 years. First off, we're going to deal with Kilkenny Camogie's loss to Antrim. John Scott, it's never an easy place to be. And I know what it feels like. We've been here before. But just sum up your thoughts after a heartbreaking defeat to Antrim in the All-Ireland Final there this afternoon yeah uh, just Martin it's just uh, looking at I was just so disappointed that just we didn't perform just and that was the kind of thing that was really hurting me more than anything else that just we just didn't perform like Antrim now were super the same day but we just I thought we, the first 15 minutes we were decent we went four points up had a goal chance if they had gone in, maybe it was a different story. But we kind of see Antrim seemed to kick on from there, and we went kind of downhill from there. Yeah, I was just going to say it to you. I mean, for apart from the bloody butt at the post, which was unfortunate, and then poor Hannah missed the shot coming out as well. It seemed to me that Kilkenny dropped the heads a little bit, and and Antrim just took off, and from there it looked like that there was no catching them at all. Yeah, it seems that way, and we've been always kind of telling the girls over the last couple of games that when you miss those chances that it kind of sucks the energy out of the teams that to pick it up that not to let it hurt the feelings and just kick on from it but they just didn't perform and, and, just, and, and even in the second half the goalkeeper with head in hand got through just hit off her knee and she kicked it and you know just those little things and like when Anton got the chances they took them yeah, well, in fairness, it was an outstanding game to watch, even the junior match earlier on. There were two fantastic games. In fairness, I thought Conor Quinlan had a great game, but Antrim's work race today was unbelievable. Like, they really hunted in packs any time that a Kilkenny girl got the ball. They had no time or space on it as soon as it was in their hand. There was three or four Saffrons around them. Yeah, no, the, the, their work rate was absolutely excellent. And the, as you said, yeah, there was everything that the, the ball broke. There was at least two or three girls running onto it, Antrim girls. And I don't know whether it was just, I think... And that was what we were thriving on over the last few games, that, that work rate. That we were, we were travelling in packs, but today it just didn't seem to go. No, and unfortunately some of the decision-making up front as well. We had a couple of goal chances, a lot of overlaps that maybe we didn't make the right pass here or there. It could have been a different story, but as everyone says, ifs, buts and ands never wins you a match either. Yeah, that's what I just said to the girls inside there. Like, um, all the things you'd be looking back and you'd be saying, why didn't they do this? And why? But we can't change those things. It's all history now and they have to move on. And yeah, kind of one thing we were kind of trying to work on over the last few years was keep our weeks was keeping the scoreboard ticking away and when we kind of got chances today sometimes we should have just put the ball over the bar rather than trying to give that one extra pass Uh, but look as I said we learn from these things I hope and we'll drive on from here they're a very young team as well we said that before nobody likes Anonia said it as well nobody wants to hear there's always next year but there is a good crop of young girls coming up from the minor team that did win the All-Ireland back last Sunday so you have them to call on as well to come into the team so there's a lot of young talent coming in that can strengthen up the squad a bit as well and I have no doubt that she probably will be there again within the next couple of years Oh, without a doubt I think with the girls that are there on the intermediate team at the moment they're all 
like 18, 19, 20, 21 years of age. Um, and after the minor was winning last week, look, there is a good few coming up from there. So I think within the next two to three years, I'd be hoping that they'll be pushing for intermediate All-Irelands again, definitely. 213 is a good score in any All-Irelands. There's many of an All-Irelands that would have won at senior level just today, though Antrim were outstanding. They seem to find that small little bit of extra room, but 217 from play really shows that they did win it on the field. Oh, yeah, look, we have we have no qualms about that. Uh, Antrim were the better team on the day. Well, everything that I think that may have Kelly number 10 and Roisin, I think everything they touched nearly in the second quarter. Roisin McCormick. Roisin yeah. McCormick, every quarter, the second quarter in the first half. I think everything they hit went over the bar. So, look, you can't, it's hard to defend against something like that as well. I suppose the burning question is where do you go from here? Like, it's going to hurt. The girls will go back to their club games they'll participate in the championships a lot of them might have suffered defeat before I know Leanne Roisin with the seniors a couple of them would know what it's like but this is probably the first defeat in an All-Ireland final for a lot of them young girls what did you say to them after the match? Yeah no I was just actually saying to them there and look they're all very disappointed inside but I did say to them next probably not Tuesday night but Thursday night they were all back with their clubs and their clubs now deserve them to go back and hurl as best they can further championship and do as best that they can further champ- further clubs in the championship and I know they'll have regrets about today but now they just have to pick themselves up and go and hurl for their champ- in the club with their championships yeah my radio partner is just here beside me she's just after interviewing Roisin she was heartbroken for all those girls for all the work that they put in all throughout the year but she did make the comment that the only team to actually beat you in championship this year was Antrim and I suppose that's no mean fee for them girls either to come and say that the only team bet you is the All-Ireland final oh yeah and the, the, or the All-Ireland winners I should say yeah the All-Ireland winners yeah that they did that was the only team to bet is in championship was Antrim uh, may have been twice uh, but look today we thought we might be able to turn them over after the beating is in the first round but look they played out with their skins Antrim I thought and we just didn't perform and heads up with all the girls and hopefully next this time next year we'll be back well look you've given us great entertainment all throughout the league we know it was heartbreaking that heartbreaking today as well but those girls as I say are young they will be back in the future as well but commiserations John it's not a nice place to be we know but you will be back well done for getting here in the first place and thanks very much for all your time throughout the year thanks very much Martin Leanne Fenley we're here in the tunnel area underneath the Cusick stand not an easy place to be after that final defeat. Sum up your emotions for us after it. Uh, I suppose everyone, the whole group there, um, just very disappointed, I suppose, that we didn't perform to, to the best that we know we could, really, and have kind of throughout the year. But we were just probably ultimately beaten by the better team on the day. They, they worked very hard and kind of got got scores. We've, there was patches where we, we did react well to their goals and, you know, we, we, were, we, we never stopped. So that, that's, I suppose, the main thing. In fairness, and we said it in commentary as well, it seemed like the backs were under untold trouble there for the whole day. Maeve Kelly and Roshi McCormack seemed to, no matter what was going on, every time you looked at them, they were getting the ball. Did you feel that when you were out there playing? Yeah, I suppose you you just felt that um, even though we were all like we were all trying and knew we would like to be ready for the breaks, I suppose they just got there that bit quicker and were able to create the overlap and, and just yeah we're, were able to take their score as well. Yeah, it, it it was constant, but it was constant throughout the pitch, and it probably came down to Antrim's work rate nearly. 
yeah, their work rate was awesome. Any time that any of the Kilkenny girls got a ball, there was two and three Antrim players around them. So they really didn't give you that much time or space even to try and get a pass away. No, you nearly, like, every time you were going down for a ball, they were getting flicks in and, and dispossessing, like, in all areas of the pitch. I went down a couple of times myself to, and got they got the vital flicks in that you think you had to have a second, but you didn't. So, yeah, I suppose you just hats off to them. They did, they did very well. Unfortunately, more heartbreak for yourself. You were here back a number of years ago as team captain with the seniors. Another defeat today. We know what it's like. We've been in losing dressing rooms. It's the worst place in the world to be after a final loss, isn't it? Yeah, very, very hard place. But you just uh, like in there with an amazing group of players that are in there, and you just, I suppose, they did themselves so proud throughout the year. We were on a journey from day one. It, it what the boys did to get us all to gel as well and get to an all Ireland final. It was, it was a tough challenge, and you just be very proud of them. They're, everyone's very disappointed, but you know it's a sport. You have to like everyone, someone has to lose, but it's about sticking together now over the next couple of days couple of weeks and just really like a pleasure to play with the group and I think everyone everyone did everything they could for each other throughout the year so well the togetherness showed at the final whistle you all just stood in the middle of the field with your hands interlocked around one another as a whole group you came in together you went out together you know that was lovely to see and the other question I would have for you then what's it feel like being back on the Hallow Turf for Crow Park again Asher it's great and that's what that's what like you know we were saying as, as young ones we you know, this is a dream to get out and play in Crow Park and play in Crow Park on All Ireland Day. So everyone, it's, it's absolutely such a young group of girls there, and getting those getting those opportunities at like 18, 19, 20, You know, it's unbelievable, and hopefully it won't take as long. Maybe this time to get back. I think there's a great core there, and great, not a great core, a great group um, that can just yeah drive on and hopefully get back soon. So yeah, brilliant. This is what it's all about, isn't it? And there's a lot of girls coming up from the minor ranks as well that won the All-Ireland last week as well, which will come into the fold, we hope. So that'll only strengthen the panel up, so the future certainly looks bright. Absolutely. Like, they had an absolutely unbelievable win. And, and they, you know, the Cork had their purple patch throughout the game and they weathered it. And it was just, yeah, it was very exciting to watch and just very exciting to see what the future for a lot of those players will be. And hopefully they'll make that step up. It's a tough step up, I've no doubt they will. And it'll just drive things on, like... The intermediates are driving the seniors. It's Kilkenny Camogie. You know, there's 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 a lot of potential um, in, in Kilkenny Camogie. So it's just yeah. Hopefully, over the next few years, it'll come to fruition and um, yeah, get more days like this. Well, I know it's not easy coming out, especially after a defeat. To talk to us. You have done so, and we're very much obliged to that. Commiserations today. If you had a great game, great to see you back on Crow Park, and hope that it won't be the last time now. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Neve Sweeney, not an easy place to be in an All-Ireland final dressing room that's just lost, but sum up the emotions that's inside there at the minute. Um, I don't know, I suppose it's a hard pill to swallow. Um, Antrim are feeling the same last year, so they obviously just learn from their mistakes, but sure, hopefully the same will happen to us and we'll be back next year. Yeah, I suppose it's a cliche. Nobody really wants to hear it, but as we have said all throughout the day and even with John there earlier, there's such a young team coming up. There's a lot of young talent coming up now from the minor girls as well. So the future is looking bright, but unfortunately today just wasn't Kilkenny's day. Antrim are just superior and they were awesome, weren't they? Yeah, that's that's definitely I keep thinking I'm a young one, but a lot of those girls, I'm, I'm a good few years older than them now. So there's definitely, definitely loads of uh, improvement coming on there with all the young girls and they all driving us on. And you see that a lot of them came on today as well and they made some difference. So... Hopefully the future is bright for us. 
do you feel that with the younger players in particular a lot of them mightn't have played in Crow Park like you've been here a couple of times now with the seniors and the intermediates before as well so you've seen the surrounds you've been in it but it's new to an awful lot of these girls do you think that the occasion might have got to some of them today? I don't know it's a hard thing to gauge you don't know I suppose maybe it did for some of us but at the end of the day Antrim were the better team and that was shown out there the bet is by what was it 10 or that so I think more than the occasion got to all of us so it was just it was Antrim's day it wasn't ours yeah they scored 217 from play so they can really say that they did win it on the field at the end of the day and no one was talking about any refereeing decisions it was an excellent final to be part of just unfortunately that you were out on the wrong side of it that's it yeah like they're well able to score out from their wing or their wing forward and their run off the shoulder is excellent so like you have to give it to them in fairness they worked a little bit harder than us and they got the rewards today unfortunately for us (laughs) yeah well I know it's not an easy place to be and thanks a million for coming out and talking to us no worries thanks a million Devastation there in the player's voice. Next up is the Carroll Senior Hurling Championship post-match reaction. Niall O'Donnell joins us first. Touch and go on, Niall. You're telling me off here, but we're on air now. Uh, congratulations. We're into the county final and uh, tough enough, grounded out in the end, but your second half was far much uh, better than the first half. It was. I suppose we got more scores in the second half, but it was better because... Uh, the boys applied themselves a bit more, but it was a ferocious challenge by Bagnum Sound. Like, look, the scores, geez, them as well. There was only three three scores from play in the yeah. first half. It was it was savage tough. No, savage tough. You scored 2-9 in the second half. You had only five points scored in the first half, so mm-hmm. it was a, a big, big improvement. Pen- penalty yeah. was probably a turning point. Oh, without a doubt. And look, games as well. Fellas get tired investing all that energy in the first half. A bit more space develops. And look, I thought, well, he, he stuck the penalty lovely, all right, and I, they worked the goal very well, to be fair. So um, you probably just about deserved it. Like, yeah, two know. changes at the start from the 15 we were given. I'm not quite sure whether Paddy was on fit, but uh, he came in and he proved that he wants to put his name on the team sheet for the start the next day. One, two, so not a bad contribution for a sub. No, he, he did very well. Paddy actually a broken bone in, in his hand, so um, he, he did exceptionally well there now, you know, and probably the difference you know I spoke to you last week uh, after the other match it has been a good championship you'll be delighted now it's, it's even getting better for yourself you're back in the final but overall the standard in Carlo this year has been quite good oh it's been good look look, I've been involved in, in championship winning teams in Cork Waterford Tipperary and now in Carlo there's there's some exceptional hurlers in Carlo and what what's also there it has to be complemented with the other clubs is it's great organisation and application of the players on the field and, and it's right committed hurling so like it doesn't surprise me at all because like, I'm in a good position to to give my opinion on that because I've been involved in so many counties I suppose and it's, there's not much difference I tell you if, if uh, any of the, these teams were in Wadford or Cork they'd be on the business end of the championship that's that's the that's the fact of it it's it's unfortunate that it's, it's five teams obviously any championship would improve over the years if there's more senior teams in it it gives more competition because you, you look at the strides Bagnallstown made this year look they're, they're exceptional this year compared to last year now I know they're young and they're coming good but they, they'll be they'll be knocking on the door next year they could be climbing the steps like Carlo needs them oh certainly needs them certainly needs them and uh, it, it needs all the teams and it needs more Yeah, that's that's the key thing it needs more and uh, hopefully the intermediate championship will um, will get someone back in the summer down there about two three years ago and now look they're 
hop of the ball away from being in the final this year, the senior final. So it's there's not like what I'd say to all the other clubs. It's there. It takes hard work. That's St Mullins are working very hard year in year out. When it goes good for them, they're working hard. When it goes bad for them, they're still working hard. So that, that's the only way you get there. Final word, you were disappointed a little bit with your first half, the second half much better, but what impressed you most with your lads this evening as you did grind out the win? Just stayed in the fight and didn't get didn't get overcome by it, I suppose. Over the year, look, there's been good and bad with us in the league part of the championship. I, I don't get too excited by the league part of the championship, to be honest. I'm only interested in knockout hurling. Um, but this was probably our best hour of hurling. You know, that we, we weren't exceptional in the first half, but we were up against a serious challenge and a team hungry for success. And, and look, that's very hard to beat. If any of the other teams were facing them there in that first half, they wouldn't have ran away with it either. You know? And you've mentioned other counties in the interview, and I did say final word, but it is, this is the final one. National uh, television coming here next week. A great advertisement for Carla Hurlinger in the final. I know the lads when they played Bally Hale were on the television, mm-hmm. but it's a great advertisement for the Cork, the Kilkenny, the Ward for people to see what is going on in Carlow because we're going to get national airwaves. Oh, that's, that's excellent. I actually didn't know. What yeah. happened? No, now the pressure. Now the pressure's on Nile. I'll have to get the haircut then, I suppose. Uh, yeah, look, no, that is great. And look, exposure is for the for the young kids up there in the stand and and the the, the, great, the people yeah. who can't get to the match here. That's that's what it's a, a benefit for. And look, it's for everyone else, like you said, the other counties to see. Lots of people have heard the name. Marty Kavanagh, Chris Nolan, the, these kind of hurlers, they're exceptional hurlers. Um, it's good, it's good that they get the exposure. It's only right and just, do you know. Niall, well done today. We look forward to having a chat with you in the final. Very best of luck and well done and a good year so far. Thanks Congratulations. Thanks, for good man. Good man. Thanks a million, Niall. Thanks. Pat Hickey, another county final for Mount Leinster Rangers. The cream came to the top, St Mullins are in the final, Rangers are in the final, and we're looking forward to next Sunday. Ah, yeah, it should be a great county final. Like, sure, look, history don't tell lies. You have two of the best teams in the county in 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 the county final on Sunday. Like, and St Mullins will bring their own A game again on next Sunday, and it'll be it'll be a touch and go. That's the way I look at it. It won't be a puck of a ball in a heater way. Like St Mullins is St Mullins. Like they won't die soft, and we're county champions, and we won't die soft either. So that's going to be a ding dong battle I think uh, Navon proved to be competitive in this year's championship everyone's expecting probably a little bit of a fight from today but he dictated the game from the start led by 9-2 at half time and he really took over in the second half won by 10 in the end which was probably a fair enough result but they'll be probably disappointed with their own performance but for Rangers you were worried about your performance yeah like we hadn't been hitting the ground running as, as a management team we, we, we expected more out of the boys like but they put in a good performance today like and still we have a bit to go like you know but uh, today like uh, our work rate was very very good today or and the one thing we weren't going to do today again Michael was uh, give away a freeze in our forward line Derek Tracy would come over and put three or four over the bar every day like and, and that's one thing I was very happy with like our discipline was very good and uh, look at uh, Michael is Michael but uh, we we were like we were a far better team on the day Well I've noticed as well Pat clubs need new blood Kieran Kavanagh came in today played very well when introduced and Fierke Fitzpatrick throughout this championship has been outstanding uh, along with some of your newer players and, and young John Nolan really has matured into a fine player and for me Chris Nolan probably one of his finest performances in the red and black today Yeah well two Nolans are two great horses 
hurlers like Chris is, like if Chris when Chris gets on a ball like nine times over ten it's a score he'll be fouled uh, you did say the truth John Nolan is after having a great year and he's a terrific hurler but feature Fitzpatrick like he's, he is an outstanding hurler but Kieran Kavanagh like he was injured he's injured a whole year he was in with the county hurlers he got injured and he came back to us like and he still wasn't right and in fairness like he, he's, he's only uh, I'd say 70% there yeah but like he's another like John Nolan and Chris like he's a fair man to get a score and Pat, looking back at the championship, we, we commented on the radio that we felt it was a great championship. People in Carlow Hurling felt it was a good competitive championship, the league format. Uh, for you, looking at the matches, there was a few very good matches in yeah, it. it was, uh, yeah. yeah, and that's good for the county team going forward. Like that, you, you said about here in Cavan, you pick up a few new players and strengthen up your county team. And uh, yeah, it was the, the best championship I've seen in Carlow for a long time. Bangstone added greatly to Oh, also. yeah, and the one under 20 and fair juice to them. And they're putting a good performance here today uh, against. Uh, St Mullins like and they're a coming team there's no question about that to have youth on their side and when you have youth on your side you're, you're going the right direction you're looking forward to next Sunday Pat. Looking, tele- television cameras and all are coming you better be looking well I uh, will always be looking well <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot Brendan good man yourself thanks, thanks, so thanks Brendan good man now we'll fantastic games over the weekend and there's some fantastic racing in Kilkenny on Friday night and of course in Shelburne on Saturday Joe Sheehan joined us things are absolutely flying in Kilkenny we had the round 2 of the Jag building services and Kilkenny Goba A1 Derby last year of course this competition was won by Gert Kelly Nister who's owned and trained by Andy Murray and Kilkenny is his local track he takes his place in the semi-finals of the Derby in Shelburne Park tonight so that just goes to show you the level of, of competition this Jag building services A1 competition has and Mortlachy had a fantastic night last night he had winners with the likes of Dark Devil he done a run of 28.63 which was an absolute fantastic run of course owned locally as well by Mr Jim Langton Dark Devil is a very very classy dog he has 28.29 done on his card so he, he's a dog who could very well go all the way in this Jack Building Services competition there was more Leahy success with John and Tomas Leahy winning the first He's in with It's All Over. Very, very good performance by him as well, winning in 28.60. And also in the, thir- in the 30s, we had another dream, winning in a very nice clock of 28.80, showing exceptional early speed and winning from trap to line. Another greyhound trained by Mort Leahy. His kennel is in fantastic form at the moment. And the last quarterfinal chain was taken by Hello Hammond, of course, trained by the one and only Paul Hennessy. Very quick time of 28.65 there. Hello, Hammond is a top-class greyhound as well. So it, it, the competition in Kilkenny at the moment is, is absolutely fascinating. And we, we've seen it as well with the local competitors in the derby. We had five going through to last week's quarter-final. And tonight's semi-final, we have four of those five left. So it's really top-class action to look forward to tonight in Shelburne Park. So it just kind of tipping back to the, the local aspect of it now, we were kind of coming up to the penultimate stage. So is that set to get, go ahead next weekend? Yeah, we have we'll have the semi-finals of the Jag Building Services and Kilkenny Go Bay One. And last night we also had the first round of the Denny and Ellen Norton Memorial A4. So that's for competition for A4 greyhounds. And so we had three heats. So that's that'll that'll progress to the semi-finals with twelve greyhounds left in that competition, and also twelve left in the Jag Building Services competition. So two fantastic competitions 
in Kilkenny track at the moment and Friday night racing it's going very very well and I'd encourage anyone to get out racing to see these top class dogs in action you had some of the biggest names in the country and actually even the Dowling coming up from Tralee to run with Belly Mac Cooper and he's one of the top grounds in the country he didn't even make it past the quarter final stage in the Jack Villain Services competition last night so just go to show you that it's a very very tough competition in Kilkenny at the moment Shane and being one of the favourites as well, are, are, are you seeing that a lot? Because I, there, there was a bit of a layoff in terms of racing all around the country, whether it be horse racing or greyhound racing. Are you seeing, like, it, has the, the 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 delay allowed the trainers to maybe come up with different ways to train their, their greyhounds or kind of been able to, I don't know, allow fitness to kind of become a bit more as opposed to running? Because yeah. we, we, we talked a lot about when it comes from a human aspect that you can't just turn on and off someone like a machine. You're generally kind of training them so they reach their peak at a certain time. But the, the lapse in time, has that kind of brought a shock to the greyhound world in that there was greyhounds that kind of have been unearthed from it and ones that were previously on top because of age or whatever have kind of gone down the totem pole yeah exactly you hit the nail the head there there Shane we had that, that lowland racing with COVID last year and I guess some of the dogs who were, who were at the peak of their careers heading into that, that, that lowland racing of course we had no racing for a couple of months they shoved on and they aged a bit and then you had a few young guns emerging as well and it's it's the level of competition around at the moment. You have some top top class dogs in action, and and in fairness to the trainers around at the moment, the time and effort they have to put into their dogs is literally second to run hours and hours of work and feeding and galloping and training. But as you said, that it takes a long time. It, like Rome wasn't built in a day, and as it as regards these greyhounds, it takes a long time for fitness to come to end. And that that lulling race, and I think you give trainers definitely a chance to get their charges extra fit. And and when when racing came back over the last couple of months, we've seen some fantastic, fantastic action up and down the country. And Kilkenny Track is known for producing some serious, serious greyhounds. Shane, it really is. And all the buyers, especially the UK buyers, they have very, very keen interest in the action in Kilkenny because that's where the action is at. That's where some of the top and most shrewd people are involved. The Kilkenny. Carlo era you're tough you're a tough crowd down there <laughs> but like when you're talking about the amount of work that goes into training a greyhound obviously the reward such as the reward at Shelburne I think you mentioned near, near, like prize money of nearly 270,000 or something along that line that you know they, they, it can ultimately pay off with the type of hard work that goes into it absolutely well we always say you can only get out what you put in yeah, and the, the prize fund for this year's Boyle Sports Irish Greyhound Derby 267,000 euro. It's massive, massive prize money. And we've seen those, those local connections to the likes of Carrigeen North. He runs for Dara Patterson of Carlow and trained by Thomas Buggy. I met Thomas in, in, in Shelburne Park last night. He's a young up-and-coming trainer. Fantastic, fantastic trainer. And this greyhound runs from Trap 4 in the first semi-final. Won around at the Derby in 29-63. So it will be fancied perhaps to reach the final. We're at semi-final stage tonight. So it's really, really the cream is rising to the crop. In Trap 5, we spoke about Gert Kildinester. He won the Jag Building Services competition in Kilkenny last year. He's through to the semi-final as well for Andy Murray, running very, very consistently. And perhaps one of the favourites for local connections from Moonkine, Peter Cronin trains all about Ted. He won a round of the Derby in 29-35. He runs from Trap 6 in the first semi-final tonight in Shelburne Park. And, of course, Moonkine will be rightly behind this dog. I met all about Ted's owner, William Rigney in Shelburne Park last night and he's very, very confident of a big run from him. And in the second semi-final, we spoke about him a while ago. He had a winner last night in Kilkenny. He's going to Shelburne Park tonight with priceless chef, Mr. Paul Hennessy, who, of course, had a winner in the Cheltenham Festival 
this year. He's a horse trainer and a greyhound trainer, a man of many, many talents and all the Hennessy family weighing in there. Bryce has yet is another top class greyhound, has put in some fantastic, fantastic runs. He's twenty five to one for the Derby and a lot of people's fancy perhaps to go all the way. Paul Hennessy, of course, is no stranger to success. He won the Derby in 2007. He also won the English Derby as well. He won the Derby in 2007 with Tyre Rhino. He's a really top-class trainer, and perhaps he might be the one to go all the way. But as you say, four local, locally connected greyhounds out of 12 left. That's one in three, and it's a very, very good strike rate to get to this. It's a fantastic achievement to get to the semi-finals of a Derby with 270,000 euro of a price fund. And we'd like to wish all local connections the best that looks nice and and say like say Paul Hennessy you mentioned that he had a winner there last night would any of the the greyhounds that would have been racing last night would there be anticipation then of preparing them for the derby say next year in Shelburne and for contesting for that prize money or would the the greyhounds be kind of sticking at a local level and then he'll have ones for more national level or would all the local tracks be proven as a breeding ground to hopeful future success yeah, absolutely. Well, trainers, especially those who are as experienced as Paul Hennessy. So, like the the derby, the derby started maybe four or five weeks ago, but the preparations for the derby, you can be sure, they're taking place in January, February. They're taking place in the winter months. The trainers would have their eye on these kind of top class dogs coming through as pups, ones that are, that are doing exceptional clocks and trials and and up to gallops. They, they can. These are the derby greyhounds are really the cream of the cream of the crop and. Most of them, 90, 90, 95% of them, which show exceptional, exceptional promise from a very young age. But you also have the greyhounds, Shane, a bit, bit like a player, players in, in GA and soccer who might not be showing massive promise, but just keep getting better and better, slowly improving. And you also have them kind of greyhounds who can spring a surprise. They mightn't be showing anything great when they're young, but they just keep improving and improving. And it's the kind of greyhound I really like. One just keeps improving and giving it. It's all week in, week out. But as you say, it's 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 all. It, predominantly the, the, these kind of greyhounds the top class ones they show their their promise at a very very young age and the likes of Paul Hennessy you can be sure with the likes of Prices yet he probably had the derby mapped out from a very very early stage of the year so yeah to, to, to answer your question I guess the top trainers would have the, the likes of the derby that would be on their map that would be on their plan from a very very young age and air, air very early in the year and uh, are you going to put your neck out on the line now and make a predictions for? I'm, I'm not going to ask you for the final prediction and who's going to win overall, but do you have a prediction for who's going to get to that final stage? Well, I definitely think all about Ted, as we spoke about the Moonkind trainer, Peter Cronin. He's a very, very shrewd trainer. All about Ted is a very, very talented greyhound. He has probably the easier draw tonight in the, in, in the first semi-final, but it's a very, very tough race as well. The likes of Singalong Sally, she won the Juvenile Classic down in Tralee for... Pat Buckley, of course, English Derby winning trainer Pat Buckley, and uh, Sing Along Sally won last week in 29.70. We also have Scooby Princess there for Jennifer O'Donnell. Of course, the O'Donnell family steeped in greyhound racing, and Graham Holland has Monroe Thunder in trap one, but if I had to pick one from that, he's probably all about Ted. He's in at around 8-1 to one for the Derby. I'd fancy him to get to the final, but the second semi-final, Shane, it's, we've not seen a race, a semi-final like this in many, many years. You have Susie Sapphire. She won the Puppy Oaks and the Oaks for on McKenna won last week in 29.48 in trap 2 in the same heat Ballymac Fair won an English Derby finalist for Liam Dowling explosive boy runs in trap 3 he won the produce stakes in Clamell the race of champions in Tralee and now he's at a semi-final stage 
of the Boyle Sports Irish Greyhound Derby in Trap 4, Ballymac Ariel. She won in 29.07 the week before last. To put that into context, the track record in Shelburne Park is 28.99. She was only a length off the track record. A phenomenal, phenomenal bitch. In Trap 5, you have Jack's little thing, 29.23. He won in last week. And as we said, Paul Hennessy's priceless jet runs from Trap 6 in the same semi-final. It really is a mouth-watering semi-final. And as, as we said, the cream is really rising to the top of this stage of the competition. Joe, thanks ever so much, no doubt. We'll have you back next weekend. Uh, normally, you're coming on at around 4 o'clock for any of the listeners, but obviously, live sport here with Hurling being in, Kilkenny and Carlos' heartbeat uh, would be quite paramount if we're at Nolan Park. But we always enjoy when you get to come on an earlier start than normal, but it gives you more time now to prep for Shelburne tonight. Yeah, absolutely. And to speak of GEF, GA coverage later on, there was a more GA-connected success in Kilkenny track. We had the local track 2020 awards were on last, last Friday night a brilliant night and the Hall of Fame award of course went to Rita Leahy wife of the late great Georgie Leahy who of course was a fantastic GM in, in, in the Kilkenny area so it was great to see Rita Leahy take the Hall of Fame award home she was very very prominent figure in Kilkenny track for many many years and fantastic to see that and the other awards also the owner of the year went to Liam Peacock the private trainer of the year Carl Ramsbottom public trainer well his name has been mentioned so many times on Mert Leahy he won public trainer of the year dog of the year Danske Jets for Martin Fortune and Robbie Dowling and bitch of the year Gort Kelly Sorka for Andy Murray and Andy Murray has Gort Kelly Nister in the semi-final of the Derby tonight and Kilkenny of course is his local track so fantastic to see that as well just the mention of Robbie Dowling, it's not my case, you our sport producer out there, if anyone is thinking, <laughs> or, or at least he's leading a second life and he hasn't told me about it. But Joe, it's a pleasure as always, sir. Uh, is there all the action on 437 tonight on Sky Channel? On Sky Channel 437, yeah. On RGB TV, you'll be able to tune in to the action, and it's really fantastic action. If you can't make it a track, definitely tune in if you can. Now joined by Professor Damien Bailey, who talks on the impact of head injuries in rugby all the way from the University of South Wales. You're very welcome back to Scoreline with myself, Shane O'Keefe. Now joining me all the way from South Wales is Professor Damien Bailey, who is a Professor of Physiology and Biochemistry at the University of South Wales. He's also a co-author of a study by the University of South Wales aimed at understanding how reoccurrent contact impacts the brain long term we discussed with Dr Willie Stewart there not so long ago uh, particularly around soccer but now we're going to kind of look and delve into the reoccurring injury that occurs at the brain in the likes of rugby Uh, first of all uh, Professor thanks very much for taking the time sir my pleasure. Nice to speak to you. Yes, it certainly is, and it's great to hear that uh, Welsh twang as well over here in Ireland. We don't, we don't, we don't always get to hear it. But um, just to kind of go into uh, the study, you've said that that rugby in itself uh, could be a lot more aggressive in uh, tackling contact reduction. What do you mean by that? Well, I, I, I think uh, I mean in this piece of this piece of research, we say can adversely impact the way. Um, the brain functions in terms of getting enough blood and oxygen and glucose fuel to itself. So what that's suggesting really is that we shouldn't just be focused on managing concussion within the game. Of course, that's that's key, uh, but we should also be looking to reduce contact. And what we do know, certainly through training, um, we do see a lot of contact uh, that occurs in training. So that's one way 
that we could look to reduce contact. I mean, very much as we do with professional boxers, we try to reduce or at least suggest that there should be a reduction of sparring training, uh, recurrent contact that occurs prior to coming into a competitive bout. Um, you know, we can we can we can take the same approach, if you like, with uh, with rugby and try to reduce the contact in training and also perhaps the contact, you know, the, the sheer impact of contact in the Saturday's game with the substitutions. You know, you've got fresh, big, strong, fast players coming in uh, to break that uh, defense line down. And again, there is a clear suggestion argument that this is causing some degree of additional mechanical damage. So uh, I think assessing and measuring contact and looking to reduce it where possible um you know is an important step is there any concern then say from a young age uh, when i was playing soccer that would have been my sport that uh, the likes of heading would be taught to you the the art of it or, or or whatnot and then you know it would hold in good stead to have proper technique maybe when you're going up to head the ball or anything like that but to kind of take away maybe the impact in uh, in the likes of rugby and take away that type of training would there any concern then that it would impact the actual game in itself when they reach an adult stage in that they wouldn't maybe have the appropriate techniques or uh, the proper way to to scrummage or anything like that they might have picked up some kind of bad habits or kind of get thrown into the fire so to say well, I'm sure, you know, it's the same here in Wales, no different, no doubt, in, in, in Ireland, England, Scotland, you know, and across the world in terms of learning to play rugby. Most of us, I mean, I played as a, as a scrum half, you know, as a schoolboy, um, loved the game, um, and the sports masters, you know, they were superb in terms of teaching you how to tackle. And, and again, it's a skill. The more you're exposed to the skill, the better at the skill you become. So one would hope to think that the professional players have got those skills well and truly honed. Um, now, there are a few international players out there, and we can watch them on TV, that haven't necessarily got the best um, tackling positions, certainly in terms of where they place their heads or the odd tackle. Um, and, and, you know, we can see and witness the contact and it's, you know, pardon the pun, an absolute no brainer that some degree of mechanical damage and some potentially longer lasting consequences can can occur as a result of that. And, and certainly in the amateur game, we see less competent body positions and there's an increased vulnerability. And, and, and it's, this is especially important. You know, you mentioned children. It's especially important in children because you know, their brains are even more expensive brains to run compared to ours. You know, we, we, we focused here not necessarily on the structural integrity of the brain, but the way functionally the brain defends oxygen and glucose delivery to itself, you know, how, how the brain controls blood flow to itself. Uh, it's very, very expensive to run. It needs lots of blood, lots of oxygen and glucose. It's even more expensive when you're a child and it's even more vulnerable to structural mechanical damage as well so you know having that right technique at a young age um and limiting contact of course is absolutely you know it, it's it's absolutely essential and uh, i think it's fair to say that we're, we're in the process of you know slowly understanding that there are impairments um and i think um you know performing these longitudinal studies across the adult lifespan you know from child all the way through to retired athlete and trying to understand whether or not brain aging is accelerated as a result of the recurrent contact, you know, that's, that's a piece of research that's ongoing.
And uh, that's the kind of key thing to highlight as well. You know, it, it's not a, a study that can be done quite quickly because you have to measure the long lasting effects of it. It's kind of coming to the limelight or the public consciousness due to, uh, say, in Ireland, Johnny Sexton has been uh, said to have over 30 concussions due to impact. And people are like, oh, that's a that's a high number. Um, there's currently over 200 players taking legal action against rugby's governing bodies due to injuries that they've sustained. The the within your study i know maybe getting into legal aspects it might be outside of that but would you expect to see more of that been done and brought up against different unions or federations that players are kind of looking going we weren't protected here and these studies are are showing that so far that um you know we're we're going to have direct impact due to not being in a safe environment yeah i think it's it's intelligent effort in some ways i mean you know, the skill set that I can bring to the fore as a biomedical scientist, you know, is to complete the studies uh, objectively, to set up strong studies as many other, you know, uh, researchers, clinicians do, and then to provide the evidence to suggest, you know, whether it's good or bad. I mean, what I would say is that physical activity is wonderful medicine for the brain and heavens knows we want to encourage children and adults to be as physically active as possible. Um, huge benefits for the brain, hugely neuroprotective. The big question, the big elephant in the room is, you know, are these, you know, is the, um, the, 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 recur the recurrency of these mechanical contacts um, over the adult lifespan um, is this potentially damaging? Now, what I would say is, as somebody who's played rugby, you know, you play rugby because you enjoy the contact. You know uh, there is a lot of contact. Um, but what we haven't been able to say to players, we haven't been able to put a risk on that contact. Uh, and, of course, um, that's been done with uh, the American footballers um, and I think then that's a really important piece of information from an ethics perspective uh, from a governance perspective that we need to provide to players so that you know mums and dads can make that decision as to whether or not their son or daughter um, should engage in playing rugby they're making that decision for them but also for the professional players that they understand that you know what is the what is the risk of me developing cognitive complications or accelerated cognitive complications in later life, which is going to have a negative impact on my life. So I think, you know, we as biomedical scientists, that's our role to provide um, this information. Um, and, and science is very dynamic. Um, there are arguments for, there are arguments against, positive findings and negative findings. And then I think it's, you know, it's very much a, um, um, uh, you know, a legal specialist then, um, obviously need to measure and weigh that I, I, I you know for me I love playing the game we've heard from many players that you know the social the 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 exercise benefits that the game has imparted on them far outweighs um, any of the potential risks um, but I really do feel that we need to measure and weigh those risks so that we can inform the players over the long term so uh, it's an important you know, it, it's an important exercise and I'd like to see much more research, longitudinal research conducted in the field to try to address those questions. Within the community, then, I know, as you're saying, you'd like to see a lot more research done. So that kind of brings to mind that you may be on just the tip of the iceberg in, in regarding to the long lasting impact on players or like, or does it seem within the community that you're ingrained in that we're in currently the midst of a, a major problem? Well, I think, 
You know, we've we with the current class action at the moment. Uh, there are many more players that are um, aligning themselves to that class action. Um, I think there's a, a much higher awareness. I mean, we're we're, we're screening, we're testing far more now uh, in the clinical population for dementia. The brain traditionally has only ever been the poor sister uh, or brother to the cardiovascular system, to the heart and the lungs. Um, we're now, you know, um, in a clinical situation where, you know, dementia is, you know, especially prevalent um, in the population. Um, we have got much more surveillance uh, for that disease. Uh, we understand the impact of the disease. We're looking at developing countermeasures. Physical activity is perhaps the only singular countermeasure, no current curative interventions. So it's a, it's a terrible disease that has a huge impact both on the individual and, of course, um, the families at large um, and the socioeconomic implications are enormous. So there's, there's a real sensitivity, and rightfully so, clinically. Now, rugby is, by its very nature, it's a gladiatorial sport. And, you know, the game has, uh, has changed enormously over the years with huge players, incredibly powerful. Um, you know, the physiques of these players coming onto the pitch, they look more like bodybuilders than the, uh, the players that we would be used to seeing in the 70s or the 80s. So since the game has turned professional, um, you know, we're seeing, you know, real gladiators coming onto the pitch. And, and I think it's fair to say that the public love the big hit, you know, the public, um, you know, uh, they really enjoy the physicality of watching the game. Um, but they're not perhaps aware of the longer term complications, the neurological complications associated with their recurrent hits. So I think, you know, it's a very, very different game. And uh, it's certainly a game that uh, we need to, uh, you know, we, we, we need to look at objectively and, and, and try to, uh, to, to manage um, the contact far better than we currently are. I think we owe it to the players and I think the public have got a role to play in this as well. You mentioned the big hits there, and it's something that maybe you've touched upon in terms of substitutes not coming on fresh for those big hits. Is it the is it the big hits in the sport, or is it the repetitive nature of kind of maybe not as big hits, but minor hits as well that are contributing to the the studies that you're finding? Like I've I've been involved in a few different head injuries. Uh, myself and I've felt like they, they've impacted me in different ways and I've had a few minor injuries as well where I felt like I haven't uh, felt any immediate effects of that but are, is the study concentrating on the likes of the big hits or is it all encompassing and you're looking at the, just the whole dynamic of the game in general? Well, I mean, you know, the, the, the brain is incredibly sensitive to damage. You know, we've, we've evolved with an organ which is pretty much in charge of every other organ. Um, and it's especially vulnerable to failure. And it's vulnerable to failure because it requires this continuous supply of blood and a continuous supply of oxygen and glucose. Now, if we, if we in any shape or form, if we, if we impede that, if we uh, impair that, um, you know, there's immediate complications. I mean, you've only got to look at stroke to understand how devastating an interruption of a continuous supply of fuel to the brain uh, can actually result in. So any hit to the head, is potentially life-changing. Um, um, what we're seeing is probably the recurrency of um, repetitive contact um, building up over years of playing rugby. I mean, the paper that we've just published, um, the Professional Rugby Union players had 
you know, on average 16 years at the top end. And we were seeing subtle impairments, but nonetheless impairments over a single season. You know, the question is, um, it would be a wonderful piece of work to look at season by season changes in a young, fit, healthy, well-protected brain, if it's being exposed and to quantify the number of exposures in terms of contact over those seasons. Uh, and to look, and again, this is the question, are we seeing a brain that is aging far faster than a non-contact exercise matched um, control? Uh, and, and, you know, that really is the piece of research that's currently missing. Um, uh, but we feel, and again, you've got to have a working hypothesis, we think that it it's the recurrency, those repetitive blows um, and contacts. I'm not directly to the head, by the way. This could be contact to any part of the body uh, that's impairing that, uh, imparting that torsional, uh, rotational acceleration to the brain that could be causing some degree of mechanical damage. You know, how is that influencing um, the ability of the brain to function in later life? Because we know as we get older, there's an inextricable reduction in blood flow to the brain. This is why stroke and neurodegeneration is more uh, diseases of the aged brain uh, in the most part. Um, but is that deceleration, you know, is that degeneration more accelerated as a result of um, uh, the recurrent uh, impacts? We do know from boxing that it's probably the sparring um, the training and the contact caused through training that is imparting the greatest degree of damage to the brain over time, as opposed to those single knockouts that occur um, during competition. Um, so, you know, I, I, again, it's, it's rather an open question, uh, but this is the working hypothesis. It sounds absolutely fascinating. And like uh, there's lobby groups that are getting behind you, such as Progressive Rugby. They come out in support of your research. Is there any worry, though, that, say, relevant authorities or bodies will be wary of making changes if it leads to, say, a serious surgery being done on the sport in general? I, it's gosh, it's 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 it really is a can of worms, isn't it? In as much as. You know, I, I mean, I must say, I, I've been fascinated. I mean, our, our laboratory is, is, is geared up to look at the benefits of physical activity for the brain. And uh, on the downside um, uh, of that, we look at, uh, you know, how the brain responds to um, damage, uh, damaging events. And of course, rugby falls into that category. I, you know, we really had um, no idea how much interest would be um, you know, stimulated as a result of, you know, a relatively straightforward publication. And it feels that, you know, there's a huge appetite really to um, almost to focus on the negative. Um, and again, what I keep saying to people is that, you know, without the contact, without um, uh, the impact, you know, the benefits of exercise are just, you know, they're, they're so important for us to get behind. And, and the social aspects, as I said, of playing the game are just, so neuroprotective and, and, and uh, so, so life improving from a quality perspective. I, I, I think, you know, we've got two sides of the story. We've got the coaching staff, we've got the, um, the team, we've got the players who've got a huge appetite to be successful. You know, that's what they're paid for, a huge appetite to win games and a huge appetite to keep the best players on the pitch, you know, the impact players that are the game winners, the game changers. But at the same time, you know, we've got this medical um, concern that uh, over time, 
we need to be, um, you know, uh, we're seeing some degree of impairment, accelerated impairment, um, and we need to protect our players. We need to protect them, um, you know, from themselves, uh, if I'm being frank, in some instances, a bit like the boxer uh, who's out on his feet uh, and the coach needs to step in and pull him out of the ring. You know, these aren't gladiators. These are full-time athletes. This is how they earn their money. This is how they earn their accolade and their success. Um, and we... You know, we're providing information um, as, a, as a way of really trying to make the game safer and to guide clinical management and care. Because for me, you know, a young man or a young woman playing at the peak of their career in their mid-20s, you know, the vast majority of people haven't seen a patient with dementia, haven't seen a patient's family trying to cope with this disease. And, you know, again, um, uh, you know, it's really quite scary if uh, we were to consider over the lifespan that we were accelerating cognitive decline and impairing an individual's quality of life just because they've played the game. Um, and I think, again, coming back to intelligent effort, it's our role really to provide that information so that players can then, through informed consent, they can make their own decision. We need to tell them about the risks, just as we know the risks, we can put numbers on risks as far as smoking is concerned, and then people can continue to smoke. It's up to them. But, you know, at the moment, um, you know, we're in that nebulous area, if you like, where we can't actually put a number on these risks, which is why we're conducting research. And I think for me, it's important that we take a very balanced viewpoint in terms of the results that are being generated. And, and, and I think we are in a position where there's emergent evidence to suggest that we need to be concerned and we really do need to take some degree of responsibility. Well, Professor, thank you ever so much with your time. Um, it's it's a matter that's very, quite close to, to my heart, um, even playing just like a, a very, very amateur level of, of, of soccer in Kilkenny. I've seen guys bust their heads and try to continue on. Uh, I've played with guys that have turned around to me and, and asked me what the score was in a game because I don't think a lot of it's on the consciousness of a lot of people. So the work that you're doing and uh, the likes of Dr. Willie Stewart, who we spoke before, it, it, I think it's paramount to be able to educate uh, people not just from an elite professional level but just from the grassroots up and uh, thank you for the research we're looking forward to more continued research and uh, hopefully there will be some positive uh, outcome coming from your studies thanks very much i really appreciate the opportunity Thank you very much, Professor Damien Bailey. You can go listen to this interview on Scoreline Extra after the show as well, if you just happened to catch it at the end. Professor of Physiology and Biochemistry at the University and South Wales. Uh, lots more still to come here on Scoreline. Stick around. <laughs> And finally, back home, we're going to go to Dale Bulger, the musician and golfer who became the first Carlo man of 41 years to win the Midland Scratch Cup. Welcome back to Scoreline. We're now going to switch our attention to golf. And joining me on the line now is Dale Bulger. Dale was the first Carlo winner of the Midland Scratch Cup by six shots. The first winner in 41 years on the 28th of August, so just last week, in an event hosted by the Carlo Golf Club. First of all, Dale, thanks very much for taking the call, sir. Thanks very much for having me. It, it must seem quite surreal to be the first Carlo winner of the Midland Scratch Cup in 41 years. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. I always, like, I remember when we were younger and we'd hear that there'd only been one winner and you'd kind of, like, joke around with the boys saying that you were going to be the next one, but, like... 
it still kind of hasn't really set in that I that I want it yet. And like do, to do it in County Carlow, in your own golf club, uh, like the, first of all, do you think that kind of helped? We were talking to Mia Griffin, who was contesting Ross Namon. It's a cycling event around Kilkenny. She's from Kilkenny. She thinks because she's done the rounds around Kilkenny, she knows the the different routes that that will uh, help her. Do you think knowing Carlow Golf Club inside out kind of maybe con- contributed to the success in the end? Uh, definitely, definitely. Like I, I found. Like I, I really knew where to miss, and when it did happen, when I did have a few misses, and I definitely did have a few misses, they all came in the right spots. So, like I think the kind of local knowledge definitely, definitely helped keep the score together. Anyway, keep keep the round going. And and you mentioned the misses there. Like, how do you keep it together then when that happens? Like, is it that knowledge of, of the course that allows you to keep it together? Whereas if you were somewhere else, you wouldn't you wouldn't have been able to keep it together. Or like, what's the mindset going into that, knowing that you may be coming to the end you may be the first one of 41 years from Carlo to do it but you might have had a few misses as you mentioned how 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 do you keep that mindset going of is it positivity is it visualization what what's your method it's like it's a bit of everything like that yeah i definitely have to stay as positive as i could but the thing was like when i did miss it was in parts of the course and parts of each hole that i missed like i i'd, I'd hit the ball and i'd missed on that hole i'd say hundreds of times so i kind of knew where I could bail out and like there were some holes where I just had to like accept that I was going to either make bogey or accept that I wasn't exactly going to be able to maybe like get home in two or whatever on a par five but um, no it was just a lot of things like a lot of what you said there keeping positive in moments where in previous rounds I definitely would have let it slip I kind of just had to stick to my guns a bit and stay going so it sounds quite tactical as well, which a lot of people mightn't kind of assume from golf. They might, you know, people that are on the the other side of it, uh, playing different kind of sports, might see it's hitting the ball and hoping for the best. But as you're talking about it there, there's like tactical ways to approach a hole and going, okay, I'm going to take my loss here and then I'm going to make up for it in, in two holes. Kind of like in the way Sonny O'Sullivan would start really kind of slow and then towards the end ramp it up. So it's a very tactical, nuanced game as, as any golfer knows. Oh, definitely, yeah, and especially like that was definitely then the advantage of me getting to play on my home course because I was I've been playing and especially the last year like I, I'm a musician so I haven't been able to work as much as I wanted over COVID so I was able to play an awful lot more golf and getting to play there like so many days during the week. It was basically as if I was rehearsing for the whole thing before. <laughs> and did it make it like that extra special then because it was in the home county? A hundred percent, like one hundred percent, especially because like I like then I still go back out there to like I went out two days after that then and just seeing everyone out there and like people coming up and congratulating me and getting just getting to kind of enjoy it that little bit more because especially like when the name will go up on the board like it's it's in the, the clubhouse that I go into multiple times every week so like it's it, that makes it a bit more sweet. And getting the name up in the clubhouse there, like it, it, the the event itself, it's one of the premier events on the amateur scene in Ireland. So was it something that you may have had your eye on for quite some time, or was it something that you're like, oh, I'm just going to enter it and we'll see what happens, or was it, I'm going to enter this and I'm going to win this? I think this this year was really kind of the first year that I really thought I'd had a chance because I don't know, I just everything kind of clicked for me with my game this year. Like in years before, me and my dad were only laughing just on the Saturday night about how a few years ago it was me just kind of saying I'd love to be good enough to 
like I'd, lo- I'd love to get my handicap low enough so I could get into the event and then it was me going out in the like first round second round being like right just stay going here and you might have a chance to to win it all like and you certainly did yourself like tremendous favours. You had two fabulous rounds of sixty nine and seventy. Do you would you categorise that now as one of your best performances on the course, or had it gone similarly to how you'd been playing in advance of the competition when you had that kind of time off to be able to go out into the golf course? Like one hundred percent, I think over like two rounds, it was as consistent as I've ever played. I think because I, I don't think I ever made anything worse than a bogey, and like that was. And I was able to bounce back whenever I did make bogey. I was able to make, maybe go on a run of a couple of birdies. But that's kind of definitely has to, it's 100% it is the best golf consistently that I've probably played around the course. Definitely not, they're definitely not the best rounds in terms, I've definitely gone lower. But to do it kind of under the circumstances of especially going into the back nine of the second round where I knew, I then knew where I stood after the first round that I'd been leading by two. And then I was two over at the turn, so I knew that if I could kind of stay going in the second round, that I could hopefully kind of scrape away with it anyway. And you mentioned a couple of birdies. You got two birdies on the 17th and 18th to finish. You finished six ahead. On those particular holes, were you a bit more relaxed knowing that you had a healthy lead? See, I, I didn't know there what the situation was. By 17 and 18 in the last round, I hadn't a clue whether I was... Um, a few shots ahead or was I behind because the way it worked out like I said I was two shots ahead after the first round and then I was two over for my second round so just say one over total so I kind of play it, said to myself I was trying to play it as if I was just say back to all square with the field so then I knew I kind of needed to well I thought I might need to birdie one of the last two if not both and I'd say the celebrations afterwards were quite tremendous. Your father, Jimmy, is a professional in Kilkenny Golf Club. I'd say he was tremendously proud as well. He was, but the thing is, we didn't even get to celebrate. Like, like I, I said, <laughs> I'm a musician. I'm only back in work since the middle of August, and that night I had a gig, so it was literally, I got to sit down in the club, like just outside the clubhouse for maybe 10 minutes, and then I was home to get my guitar, get my speakers, and then I was off to play a gig that night. I found out that I won. I was in the car on the way to Kildare with my, with my dad <laughs> and then my brother Jamie called me up to and like he, I answered the phone and he just said well champ and then I just kind of started laughing nice and uh, you mentioned in uh, the band there as well what type of music are, are, are you playing you, a, a guitar is it acoustic is it, is it electric or what, what was the gig like um, in, in general is it cover band original stuff I, I'm, a, I'm a solo act so I was playing um, I, I was playing at a wedding that night and like I did, I, I was able to have at least, thank God I was able to have a couple of beers anyway, just to <laughs> relax myself after it. But um, yeah, it's it's cover stuff there when I play and just say weddings and that, but I released my own music, like I released a song last night, it's called Delusional. And I was playing, I'm actually back on KCLR in a few weeks to promote a gig that I'm playing in the George Bernard Shaw, so... I won't really bore you with all the music talk now. I'll, I'll, I'll bore the people I'm talking to in a few weeks. <laughs> bore them about the sports stuff. I, I, I'm tremendously involved in music. I got to play a Metallica special there during the week. I was absolutely delighted. But look, it's a sports show. We'll get back to the golf. In, yeah. in terms of uh, your immediate future now in, with golf, are you going to be focusing more on the music now that that's back or are you going to be looking to kind of progress in the amateur ranks in golf? Oh, like I'm lucky enough now that what I do with music, I pl- like, Basically, like if you want to call it work, and it's, it's tough to call it work sometimes because it's some crack. 
But like, I work at night, so like that just leaves me so much time during the day, so I get to practice. So I kind of like, and at the end of the day, I'm still treating golf as like it's a game and it's a bit of crack. But I would like to hopefully get to another level. Like I'm not, I'm not saying I'm going to be like the best amateur in the world or the best, even the best amateur in Ireland. But I would definitely like to play in some of those championships, like the South or the West. Yeah, well, it sounds exciting. Whatever the future holds, whether it be in music or whether it be in golf, um, you seem to be in a in a really good position. We wish you nothing but the best for the future. You're mentioning then that you've released a song as of Thursday, I believe. You're saying it's delusional. Where can people go hear that? You can hear that wherever you get music: iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music. Wherever you want it, you can find me. Dale, it's been an absolute pleasure, sir, and uh, hopefully you'll be able to progress in whatever endeavour that you choose to go down. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me, and thank you very much for the support. Dale Bulger, he's the first Carlo winner of the Midland Scratch Cup by six shots, in the first winner in 41 years. An absolutely tremendous, tremendous effort, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing what the future holds. Stick around here on Scoreline. That's been Scoreline Extra. You can catch the show live from 2 to 6, Saturday and Sunday, with all our live games and all of our interviews. Myself, Shane O'Keefe, and the angry young man, Robbie Dowling. Until then, stay safe, stay sane.